Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Courtney Staples and C.R. Rowanson. Uh, Clark, great to have you back again. I'm going to stop like making a point of like calling you out from now on, because at this point, like you've lost all your special privileges. Oh, man, I don't feel special anymore then. All right. Uh, to be fair, no one should ever feel special ever, um, just as life philosophy. But Words you know, of wisdom funny. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you never if you never hope to achieve anything, you'll never be disappointed. Wise words. <laughs> so uh, whoever submitted this prompt, you can feel good that they picked it, but don't feel too special. That's the message here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Unless you submit a prompt, then you can feel special in the conference. <laughs> Well, with all that out of the way, I suppose we could just roll right into the prompt. We have a new prompt from a new listener. Axel has submitted this to us with the following prompt. Take to the skies. In this world, hot air balloon travel is the predominant mode of transportation. Aeronauts ferry people and goods between small towns that cling to the cliff sides, seeking treasure and adventure and abandoned ruins. Why is such an impractical vehicle so prevalent? How do you even make that work? That will be up to you to figure out. The three tenets thus far. Number one, the unpowered, lighter-than-air flight must be the primary mode of transportation for both goods and people, but other modes of transportation may also exist. Geographic features have more verticality than those found on Earth. And themes of adventure, community, love, and nature are abound. Well, Axel, thank you so much for this submission. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click on the link, follow the instructions, and in a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world, just like Axel's here. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter, at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord and talk about swashbuckling hot air balloon adventures and how you would do it, Follow the link in the description to our Discord, and you can chat with us in no time. If you're feeling particularly generous, or you just want access to those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can also follow another link in the description for our Patreon, where you can give us money. And with all of the shilling out of the way, we can go right into the prompt. So, we've got the prompt set up. Uh, Clark, you're no longer a special guest, which means I'm <laughs> going to let Courtney go first. Courtney, start us off with a prompt here. Sure. So, um, in the prompt, there's the question of why this mode of transport is the main one. And my mm. answer to that is pretty simple. The ground is lava. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you have the ground? It's like an ocean planet or something. <laughs> uh, I had something. Well, it, it, it was not lava. I'll tell you that mm. much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll 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 come to figure out. Talk to me about this. The floor is lava, Courtney. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely explains why ground level and water travel aren't exactly common. Um, and even things like planes would be tough to do with the verticality because there's just no room to build up momentum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but with balloons, you just need a bit of clear space to take off and land. Um, maybe even the heat from the lava surface would that's give what I was thinking the balloons as well, a natural yeah. boost. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it makes sense for the setting that's in play here. All right. All right. I like that a lot. Uh, Clark, what do you think? How does that work for you? 
That actually works really well and I think can tie in quite strongly to one of my tenants, especially if we wanted to go, I know this sounds weird, but I was very interested in taking this actually a more technical, almost sci-fi route. Oh, oh my. Which would definitely be hard given balloons, but hear me out. So the tenant <laughs> I wanted to add okay. was that there are more atmospheric layers in their sky than we have uh, on Earth. Okay. Because on the way our the layers of our atmosphere are formed are temperature inversions. So hot air rises, right? But as it yes. rises, it expands, it cools, it gets further from the heat of the planet. It cools off and then it just goes backwards because now it's exposed to more sun and it's just a reversal of these temperatures over and over again. Mm. Uh, and what that does is that gives you tons of bands of different air density, which could be really valuable for air traffic control, especially with hot air balloons mm -hmm. and having mm -hmm. tons and tons of exposed lava, intense heat might actually make those swings more severe and more frequent. So I think that actually ties together really, mm. really well. Very Interesting. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Clark, I'm not going to lie. Uh, whenever I hear technical stuff, my I do tend to zone <laughs> out for a little bit. So um, you can ask Daniel. I do the same thing with him, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, in, in all in all honesty, I, that is a, a very interesting kind of explanation for what we're going through here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm curious as to what the greater implications of that might be uh, if there's more layers of... Um, air pressure and stuff like that that seems to be like a kind of a big deal right yeah and i really got swept away by the prompt when i thought of this because it was like why would this work the main thing with those layers is it would really uh, it would really promote different types of balloons because mm. then transitioning between the layers could actually be more difficult depending on how big the temperature swings are. Interesting. That is cool. Because uh, if you go from a fairly cold layer to a fairly hot layer, the density of that layer is much, much lower. So you are going to need more lift to rise through it mm. than you will mm. through a colder layer because it, it's a factor of buoyancy. So it would actually make it easier for people to have... Uh, basically vertical lanes uh, and that can be both yeah. in terms to access structures or stuff. If there's giant towers or mountains or anything like that, it would make it easier to home in on where you need to go. Mm -hmm. It'd also make it easier to kind of navigate and make some very interesting combat because it's about sliding through the layers to gain the advantage on your opponent and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that is really interesting too, because I, when you tend to think of combat, it's almost always on a horizontal plane, mm -hmm. right? Especially, when I tend to think of like uh, ship to ship combat, you know, we're talking about sailing the, the age of sail and piracy and stuff like that. That is very important. So now I'm thinking of, well, the, the, the most important thing is how quickly you would ascend in this world, right? In a hot air balloon, because I imagine uh, as Obi-Wan has said, once you have the high ground, that's pretty much it. You know? <laughs> so I think, I mean, there are issues with ascending and descending too fast. It like throws off yes. yeah. sort of internal balance and can lead to some nasty effects too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that gum is going to be really important mm. in this setting. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, so I, I love the first two tenets except Courtney's and I'll get into oh. why right now, <laughs> because my first tenet was also geographical, which uh, I, I think we can actually square fairly easily here. 
my first tenet was, uh, I, I was also thinking about why that reason, you know, why people wouldn't be able to travel on the ground would be. I didn't come up with lava. I came up with a roiling sand sea instead. Mm. So mm. Uh, the, the reason that you wouldn't be able to travel long distances because the earth would basically uh, split beneath you or you'd get caught underneath a, a sand wave or something like that. And I was thinking that the reason that cities and other places are so vertical is because they need to be, because there's such little stable ground, yeah, such li little stable earth to build on that it's like, we have this small area. The only option we have is to build up and like keep going up. You know, that that's that's what I started out with. So how do we square this between you and I, Courtney? Is this a knife fight? Is this a dance off? <laughs> like, what are we thinking? Here? I think I would lose both of those. But um. No, I'm. It's I'm probably picturing... true. You've never, you've never danced a day in your life. I've gotcha. seen, I've seen you at my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> um, quickly moving on from that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm picturing like maybe um, the poles are where the the sand storm things are because it's like cooler there, so it's not actual lava anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's like geographical features like rock spires or something that jut out of the earth and that's where mm. things are built up interesting because yeah, that that is one thing to bear in mind when world building is there's no planets are not myopic they're not just like one yeah. single biome of course so yeah. like we could have a variety of things where we sort of just exaggerate more and more of what we have on earth so it could be mm. that the equatorial region is primarily exposed lava yeah, uh, and yeah. then as you get up into where the desert bands would be, because you can actually, you can actually calculate where those are based off of your convection cells and stuff on how fast your planet is spinning. And I'm not going to put you to sleep, Rob. I promise. <laughs> but those areas where it's desert could be the high, like the roiling sand deserts. And um, I don't know. Th mm -hmm. This is all mm -hmm. clicking really solid for me because uh, in those deserts you could essentially have uh, hoodoos, which are those pillars of stone oh, like yeah. you see at Bryce Canyon and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, that would be really cool. And I, I do like the idea of like kind of just ramping up Earth's climates to be more extreme. Yeah. And hot and dry. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. With basically like a ring of fire around the equator mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. going up from there. Uh, now, I, I feel like uh, this should help things a little bit as well, because I wanted to actually scale down the setting just just a tiny bit. Uh, because I was interested, I, I know that this says world, but I thought that it'd be far more interesting if we kept our world building to a scope of a nation. Mm -hmm. So we can, we, we don't care about what's outside of the borders of this particular nation, but within this nation, it is a roiling sand sea with hot magma as the floor. And, uh, I, I suppose the, the atmosphere is something that we'd have to you know, like allow for the entire world to be, but, mm. but for the purposes of this particular podcast, I would love it for, for us to just focus on this one particular, I, I suppose we can either call it a nation or a continent, uh, whatever would be easiest for what we're doing here. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Focusing on like a single region makes sense. Throwing yeah. off my groove. Like everything I have is big planetary <laughs> stuff. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the reason, though, I brought that up is since we do have want to have that sense of adventure, like if somebody was telling a story here, even with a nation that comes from the 
the sand scene, mm-hmm. just understanding that there are these other things potentially out there are going to be great sources for adventure settings. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But now I'll back off and we can focus in actually after I give my second tenant, because that is another kind of global thing, but I don't have to do that right now. Uh, well, I, I, I did want to um, focus on something that you said just now, Clark, which is, yes, the setting says world and there is a focus on, on adventure and whatnot and community, uh, love and nature. So I'm like, those are all easy to do within a particular region or like continent, right? Very true. Adventure. I was thinking because we have a sand ocean that, you know, much like, you know, the great sand dunes will come and like cover stuff and then mm-hmm. eventually erode away with the winds that we could have something like that. But the the caveat and twist is now these are buildings that can withstand not just a roiling sea of sand, but also lava as well. So mm-hmm. you are essentially mm-hmm. whenever you go dungeon diving, you're essentially baking yourself in some cases, right? Because it's like you're you're burying yourself in sand and then, you know, there's also the heat. So you're, I, I don't know, you're in a convection oven, which adds oh. a, a very real sense of danger whenever you're deciding mm-hmm. to go and, you know, find some treasure, you know? Have you guys seen lava fields? Not uh, personally, not no. Yeah, not in person, but I've seen photos and videos. So I think if we're wanting to focus in on a region, that could be how we really merge those two because both both lava and water are kind of weird with the paths and stuff that they'll carve out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it could be that they are on just one massive lava field in areas that are cooler with it just magma where it hasn't come to the surface. You know, it's all it's all black sand because it's all this hardened basalt oh, cool. and lava that mm-hmm. has then been eroded and chipped away. So you have to be careful because, yeah, the sands might shift and it might part and drop you straight into <laughs> yeah. uh, into a vein of magma or lava <laughs> that spew up at any time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like that's just a hidden danger of this already dangerous black roiling sand sea. Of course, there's also going to be the adventurer folks who are like, yeah, I was abandoned by my party and I was walking, you know, I was, I was trekking back to, you know, the, the outpost or whatever when the ground opened up and all of a sudden I slipped into a dungeon and now I'm a wealthy, wealthy person because (laughs) I just so happened to walk out with a bunch of loot. You know, there's going to be that self-made accidental millionaire type person, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that lots of people die trying to replicate. Of course, of course. Yeah. So Clark, I think now is a good time that we can transition over to your second tenant just to just to see what kind of world shaping, world changing events we got going on. So why don't you hit us with that? I think it actually all starts to meld together pretty well because what I wanted to add, my second tenant is that there are more numerous and stronger trade winds on this mm-hmm. planet. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for anybody not familiar with them, trade winds are just uh, winds that travel consistently in a single direction. Mm-hmm. For us, they're primarily mm-hmm. along the equator, but they do happen anytime you have a convection cell inversion. Not going to get to the technical details, <laughs> but um, if we built up this planet so it had more of those, it could have numerous ones that are flowing faster and are closer together. So rather than being like 30 degrees latitude apart, they might just be like 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. So even a single country or a single continent might have multiple 
pairs of trade winds. So mm-hmm. like if you mm-hmm. want to travel east, you have to go up here and, and ride that wind. And if you want to go west, you have to go down or past the eastern trade winds to get the paired west wind. First of all, I want to say that that's a really cool and fun idea because what you're essentially creating are highways just with, you know, the wind basically, right? The other thing that I want to point out, which is very important, is these trade winds have to be reliable. They have to be... knowable. So there are maps that have these trade winds available. And I think another way that we can, uh, another way that we can approach this, Clark, is when you're thinking vertically, right? It's not just about the horizontal trade winds. There's going to be maps that are vertical as well. So when you say they're they're more numerous, yeah, you're going to be able to find updrafts and downdrafts a lot easier. And again, in a, in a setting like this, it's going to be a lot more important when you're mm-hmm. basically like balls out in like trusting the wind to carry your your uh, hot air balloon. And I, I got really excited by all of these ideas because one of the things that most of the games that I play that focus on adventure never seem to quite get a handle on the exploration encounter and exploration facet. Mm-hmm. And just with this kind of setup with what we already have, the exploration and getting to your location is going to be just as tense and just as interesting as possibly the dungeon itself. Absolutely. Because you are going to have to be paying attention to the lava fields because when there is an upwelling of lava, that's going to create some large updrafts and thermals. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mean the more stable places in your sand sea are going to be between the bands of the trade winds. But mm-hmm. there's less wind, so getting there is going to be trickier. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. all kinds of ideas are starting to click together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I will say as an aside that one game that does really capture the exploration well, I think, is Valheim, where you play like a Viking explorer mm-hmm. in the afterlife. And okay. it does a lot of things really well, including uh, ocean travel, where it feels very exciting, but also very tense because the weather can shift and you can be caught in a horrible storm and sea serpents and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. would recommend I, I know that we've brought this up before, um, but I agree with you, Clark, that exploration is very difficult to emulate in a tabletop game. Like, mm-hmm. like I feel like what Valheim and, and other, you know, exploration heavy games, like I, I would love to shout out Elden Ring because it's consumed my life for like, a, you know, the last month and a half or whatever. <laughs> but, but I think what's really important about uh, games that, give a great sense of exploration is that there is almost always a visual component to them mm-hmm. where the the awe that you experience through travel is, is kind of the reward. And I find that that's very, very difficult to emulate in a tabletop game. I found that in tabletop games, exploration often comes down to, well, you can't crest a vista and see, you know, like Bryce Canyon for the first time, or you can't climb a yeah, mountain for the yeah. first time. That sense of awe is not really there when it comes to tabletop because you're often doing it theater of the mind or like you can't draw a picture fast enough in order for you to like really get inspired in that way. So I, 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 I too have struggled to not just make exploration anything more than like a glorified like spreadsheet or map simulator, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where where I've had most success is making it so that the exploration actually has its own challenges which is Mm. which is hard to do but making it so the challenges actually feel noteworthy rather than just how far do you travel today Mm -hmm. 
Uh, right. Or do you spot the bandits that are hiding in ambush? But, you know, just ma- making it so that, especially if you can make it so that's involved more in the heart of some of the characters. Because mm-hmm. that's what we ended up doing with one is we had one person who was a captain. So I stole some stuff from Dale Kingsmill where she talked about the different roles and how they perform their roles mm-hmm. became really important to them eventually finding this hidden ruin that they were looking for. And they ended up spiraling mm-hmm. for like about a week before they found it. <laughs> because well, that's great. The roles just weren't there. So they were super satisfied when they finally did. And I, and I think this is like a perfect setup for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I think it helps too to have the exploration feel natural to like include a lot of elements of the natural Mm -hmm. world instead of just having like bandits in every other bush on the road um so like including stuff like weather patterns and just random landmarks that you might stumble upon that maybe they don't have any significance but maybe they do and leaving it up to the players to explore that i i would love to give a shout out to one of the best modules or or splat books i don't know what to call it of all time, which is uh, the Perilous Wilds. It is a dungeon world supplement that basically does all the cool stuff about exploration. And it offers so many amazing randomized elements and maps and uh, ways to track weather as well. Like it is, even if you don't play dungeon world, you can easily crib this for any game that has any sense of wilderness or exploration in it. So strong recommendation for that. Writing that down. Oh, I heard the pen click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I love where this is going because just with the with the sea and the lava and the winds, you could have people who are going just on a standard trade route and then the wind shift and all of a sudden a ruin is exposed. And mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah. you know, we're under contracts to get this here in a week, but there's probably a lot of money down there. <laughs> I think it's also something you said, Clark, that's really interesting is, you know, we have like, I mean, another element that we could add here as well is this sense of of weather and, you know, like storms, because these wouldn't necessarily just be basic wind and rainstorms here. I mean, these would probably be akin to eruptions, you know, that would disrupt trade just like hurricanes and other sea-based storms would do, except there'd be a lot more volcanic ash is my guess with this. Probably a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that like, if you're really looking to evoke a sense of adventure, having a, uh, actually there is already some kind of like a a cinematic precedent for this. Think of the roiling sandstorms in Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is the visual component and visual element that you have, except this time you're in a hot air balloon and, the more that I think about that, the more that I feel like, oh, you're just entirely fucked if you get caught in one of these things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like you have that much element of control. Just, it's just like that scene from The Mummy. Oh, yeah, thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank yes, you thank you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it has been zero days since we have mentioned the 1999 <laughs> Brendan Fraser classic movie, The Mummy. Um, this is also making me think of, um, I think it's something, a book that we've talked about before on the podcast, The Worst Hard Time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, Great point. The American Dust Bowl and just about how it's something that we don't really hear about very much, but just how screwed up the terrain became during that era Mm -hmm, and how mm -hmm. so much erosion was created that there would be literal black blizzards of like dust and soil that would 
get into people's houses no matter how tightly sealed things were like get into yeah. their lungs oh, it was yeah. it was horrific let's yeah. let's not also forget about the massive charges of electricity yes mm. like short out mm-hmm. cars and stuff like that which i think gives us another excuse as to why we don't have certain mechanical engines and stuff yes. like that too mm-hmm. because it's it's so dry and there's so much static electricity that like you know, you, you have to discharge it before you enter a room. You know, if you or if you're coming from the outside, stuff like that, like that could really work. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, there are um, pyrocumulonimbus clouds that form when there's mm-hmm. like a really intense wildfire and heat wave. Mm-hmm. Like it will literally create its own weather inside, where there's like yes. actual lightning and stuff. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing is now we can play the whole Archer bit of it's not hydrogen, it's helium, uh, because you wouldn't <laughs> want your balloon gases to be flammable oh God, depending yeah. on where you're going. Because if you go into one of these storms, yeah, you're not in anything mechanical, but it could explode your vessel. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Yeah, yeah. Very. Yep. All right. So dirigibles are out. Got it. Okay. <laughs> And with the trade winds being like strong and reliable, you might actually end up with some of these circulating sandstorms that never go away and go through predictable, like almost migratory patterns around mm-hmm. the world. That's Ooh. cool. Yeah. Uh, I know that it's not a tenant yet, but I'm making a new one because I can. Um, the The trade winds are seasonal. That's that's a, what I'm tossing in there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. They're reliable. They're navigable but they change with the seasons because I think that'd be really, really cool, you know, to emulate. Yeah. Yeah, And that's exactly what happens for us is uh, they're generally in one direction, but then if you go through the seasons, the exposure to the sun will make them stronger or weaker. Mm -hmm. And on occasion you will get a slight backflow because of temperature differentials, but Mm -hmm. okay. Enough technical. (laughs) No, 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 that's, that's fine. Um, I, I just realized, however, that, Courtney, you haven't given us your second tenant yet, have you? I have not, no. Okay. Is it bug people? How much blood sacrifice are we talking about here? What are we, there what is, are we looking there at? is, in fact, no blood involved yet. Wow. But, you know, that could always be. you change. playing against type? <laughs> um, she so, didn't deny the bug people. <laughs> ah, that's true. Also, no bug people. I mean, it could go in that direction too, but um, so. This actually ties in well with the idea of maps and navigation. My idea was that there are patterns and buildings that appear as huge works of art when viewed from the sky. I'm thinking Mm. like of um, the Nazca lines from Peru Mm -hmm. and not sure if they should be a mix of like ancient or modern. Um, Initially, I wasn't sure if they should have any deeper purpose or if they're just purely artistic, but maybe they are involved in like this navigation basically like maps that you can look at when you're actually in the air. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very cool. So I need a little clarification on that. Mm -hmm. So it's like works of art when you're looking down at the land. Yes. Yeah. So like when you're on the ground, it's like, it doesn't really look like anything in particular. Maybe there's a a shift in the tone of the earth or like a ditch has been dug out or something like that. But when you're up in the air, it creates a, an actual image when you look down at it. Okay. Is that how they compensate for landmarks being covered up by the sands and everything? It's by that could doing be. like massive scale? That could be, yeah. Um, like, yeah, if you think of like a crop circle or something to that effect, where if you're in it, it just looks like a bunch of flattened corn. But when you're up in the air, it's an actual image. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think what might be 
interesting about that is, uh, you know, like th- there's obviously like the connection to a ley line and stuff like that, but I like this idea a, lo- a little bit more just because it's, it's assumedly it's going to be like made by some kind of sentient creature. Mm-hmm. So there implies some level of design to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I think might be really interesting in some way is to see if these Nazca lines that we have here are in some way uh, where cities are formed, mm-hmm. you know, or, or mm-hmm. where like mountain ranges or, or these, because, the, the, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here and I'm getting <laughs> uh, like 17 thoughts at once, which is always what happens when I get tongue tied. <laughs> but hear me out. Okay. We could either have it so these Nazca lines are essentially like mountain ranges or ranges of uh, stone or solid ground, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where people would build their cities on. And then you could have literally cities that are a work of art, but only from the air, like Courtney's kind of suggesting. So that's kind of an interesting concept that we can run with, right? But I also have a question. See, this is the problem with my brain when I try and do four things at once. The the other thing that I'm trying to think of here is what is the foundation made out of? You know, the the assumption is stone, of course, but Mm -hmm. the idea that we have a sand sea mixed with like lava and magma movements, I kind of want it to be metal. Like, I kind of want this to be like you are on not something that is necessarily mineable, but like an alloy that is so strong that the current technology can't break it. You know, like you're on the backs of like spaceships or something like that. That's kind of where my brain goes. Yeah, like over millennia, like hundreds of thousands of years, like the metals in the earth sort of melded together to create this ultra alloy that can't be damaged anymore by the lava. Yeah, imagine like lava and sand like coming together to form, you know, where we would have, you know, mountains, you know, where the crust kind of meets crust and pushes up. This is like all of the metals getting like swirled and pushed together and there are iron mountains, except much, much stronger. Right. That's super cool. So you would also have cities of glass. Yeah. And obsidian. That'd be cool too. Yes. That would actually be, we could have like combinations of both as well. Yeah. That would be really mm-hmm. dope. Mm-hmm. And then w- would that also like kind of satisfy your cities as art type thing, Courtney? Or, or or you're looking for something more more deliberate than that? I think more deliberate, but I think it can work. I'm even picturing like if somebody comes across some giant obsidian boulder, essentially, like literally carving mm-hmm. out of it to make settlements and yeah yeah and visual things that can be seen from the sky and also i'm i'm a big fan of taking all of the ideas and throwing them in like i think there's plenty of room for both because this would lead to some very interesting societal stuff right mm-hmm. where yes. there's certain regions where you have the iron mountains i'm also picturing some stuff where you have like those um deep sea volcanic vents right that mm-hmm, form mm-hmm. if you did something like that but that ended up being almost like a metallic and glass composite coral thing that's formed up yeah, yeah. um so like different regions would have different things and you have a couple regions where it seems way too symmetrical and way mm-hmm. too organized that's and cool, intentional yeah. mm-hmm. and then the people there are going to have all sorts of theories about uh, like how it was created that's going to yeah. be part of the religion that's going to be mm-hmm. part of their identity 
And that is going to be a great mystery that people could explore if they picked up this world in terms of this area is symmetric because they don't know it, but they're actually building on top of an intergalactic destroyer. <laughs> yes, that that's kind of what mm-hmm. I'm thinking yeah. as well, is that yeah. you could either have it be natural or you could have it be the product of, you know, this this kind of geographic or, or geological or rather uh, phenomena that happens in this particular region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, now, when you said societal, Clark, I couldn't help but think that um, these cities that we're talking about that are built on, you know, obsidian and, and all these other incredibly heat resistant uh, materials. I'm guessing that at the very, very bottom of these cities are going to be where the slums are just because of how hot and uncomfortable mm. it's going to be. Yeah. And then I could even see something like the further you go up, the, the cooler that it gets. And so like the idea that, you know, being cool is a sign of wealth and power and status within this society, you know, like mm. that's where my brain kind of goes to. And depending on how towering these structures are and how, short the atmospheric layers are this might be something that inverts with the layers right where it's not mm-hmm. about being the highest it's about being in the right range yeah. exactly yeah. yeah i was thinking that as well where you know you can go as fa- as high as you want but then it gets too cold and so maybe there's there you're, it's like a slum sandwich where the top it's too cold the bottom's too hot and then in the very middle, it's San Diego, you know, like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They have vertical temperate bands. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Now, before we get too far gone, I do want to go back to your Nazca lines uh, mm-hmm. type tenant here, Courtney, because I don't think we gave it enough love and attention that we really need to here. Let's go back to that. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk about why you want to add that to this particular world and what you hope to get out of it. I think I was thinking about it in in terms of adventure and the mm-hmm. adventures that it could spawn and maybe potential directions that it could give or symbols that would direct people in certain ways, possibly like a history of what had happened previously and leading to sort of interesting archaeological things. Gotcha. So it might not be a Nazca line, but it might actually be something like a crop circle or, you know, like giant glyphs or ciphers or something like that, where it's the world alphabet, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess going back to the theme of community, too, it could still be going on. Like maybe people have been inspired by seeing these and and they've started to treat new ones um, (laughs) that might just be works of art or might, again, have some deeper meaning to it. I I love that um, because where I lived at in California, there's a really high density of petroglyphs and there's an area that you could go out and visit. And when you go out, there's all of the, the very old ones, people, people hunting and all of that, but somebody snuck out there and made their own petroglyph of like a Ford pickup. (laughs) (laughs) It was really well Uh, done. And it looks like exactly like the others, but. That's what it made yeah. me think of. Yeah, now I'm just picturing now being up in a hot air balloon on our planet and like doing some serious kind of archaeological studies and trying to figure stuff out and looking at all these glyphs. And then there's like a giant dick over on some <laughs> hill. <laughs> of course. We call that the Blades of Earth. That one is Bob was here. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's actually kind of an interesting way to approach this because 
there is this element of mystery and, and adventure that you're kind of trying to invoke here. But I think what we can also do with Clark's kind of weird suggestion is we can have some that are man-made that are like yeah. community made deliberate choices right. to be like, we're building oh, our great. city in this way because this is our identity and this is what we believe in. And so you have this mixture of natural and, and, or, you know, quote unquote natural, like the stuff that was already there. And then the stuff that is far more deliberate and it could be a vanity project. It could be a legitimate work of art. Like there's actually something that we can really do here with these things. Yeah. And also like the idea of taking an existing one that you stumble across when you're trying to form a settlement and building upon it and making that like pre-existing thing your identity absolutely like, oh this is in the shape of a phoenix so now we're going to be the phoenix tribe or something like that i think that if we prescribe cultural importance to these glyphs and make them like marked identifiers of where you come from and who you are i think that's going to be a great way that we can really add a lot of depth and flavor to what we're talking about here i yeah. love that yeah yeah Weird. Um, so, uh, thank you Ford person for creating the Ford Petroglyph because that (laughs) ended up being somewhat inspiring here. Surprisingly. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Uh, Um, one thing that I wanted to kind of bring up before we move on too far is we were talking about the different atmospheric layers and the trade winds and how balloons kind of function between the layers Yes, and yeah. I'm imagining that there would be some derelict, like balloons, still just kind of floating out there. Yes, um, and you could even oh, have yeah. like cloud city type stations, like, yeah. that people have purposely built in like certain parts of the atmosphere that they know are very stable, that they know it's not going to like collapse anytime soon. Oh, how creepy is it if you got to a certain layer and it's like the stillest air you've ever felt? Like to the point where when you breathe, it feels wrong, you know, like, yeah, it's just how the certain atmosphere works. That's actually a really cool idea, Courtney. I love yeah. that. And mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of balloons and craft and even like larger stations that are just floating there dead in the air. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was inspired by, um, I read something a little while back that was saying like talking about colonizing Venus and saying that the most realistic way to do that would actually not be to do anything on the surface because it's awful and like mm-hmm. horrible and would immediately kill you but to actually like set up something like that in the atmosphere because it's just so like dense there you could that's stick crazy. something there and have it just float that's really cool mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's a really cool idea and i mean of course you can have the ghost ship area but you can also have a legitimate settlement as well mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's great that's really great um Okay. So yeah, I I feel like we're at a point where we're ready to move on and talk about the greater kind of questions about this setting that we have going on, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that has been consistently troubling me as I'm thinking about this setting is two things. Uh, And they're both resources. Number one, what's the main building material that we're working with here? And number two, I have to imagine that rain or water is going to be a major, major, major resource within this world. Yeah. Because from what we're talking about, we've got sand seas and magma and lava, but no actual water seas. There. So that is something that I think that we have to talk about and think about just a little bit. 
So, uh, Clark, I'm sure you've got some science yes. explanation about this. So, I mean, by all means, take it away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I was thinking about is in terms of the crafts. I, I think it would be really cool if there were lots of um, scavenged materials, for one, and even even bones, just bones mm-hmm. of behemoths and giants and other mm-hmm. creatures that are just found in the desert and brought back would make great aircraft in terms of strength versus density. But I'm I'm picturing people who go water harvesting through storms, right? They are yeah. they are literally mm-hmm. collecting clouds and condensing them. Oh, that's cool. In order to bring back water and it becomes this really weird risk yeah. reward thing of you want to mm-hmm. get as much water as possible, but you still need to be able to fly back to your destination. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of like world's deadliest catch except you're just (laughs) trying to collect water instead that's really cool yeah i I have a question uh and and clark you might be able to help me out with this so if if water like if a rainstorm comes through right uh in the area that it's trying to land in is so hot that it doesn't even hit the ground like how wouldn't that create some kind of a weird weather effect where it's essentially like it's turning into steam or mist before it hits the ground and then rising back up again. Is that how it would work? Or I, I don't know how things work, Clark, and I need to help <laughs> you with that. I, I, I'm trying to think through what the experience would be like up in the storm, but you actually see that a lot in the desert and it can be very frustrating because <laughs> you're looking out in the distance, seeing a rainstorm coming and you see the rain falling. So it's just, there's the clouds, there's a layer of gray and then there's a the land, which is untouched. <laughs> oh, wow. That's weird. Because oh, that's it's falling really and evaporating um, before it lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that will do is that will create layers of higher humidity. So it is higher density zones that come with it. Because even though it doesn't fall as rain, mm-hmm. there's still high moisture in the air, high pressure fronts. That's going to affect how, um, interestingly enough, when a high pressure front comes in, or like a high density cloud that's actually going to lift the balloons up more because mm. we don't really think of it this way, but hot air balloons are all about buoyancy equations uh, and the denser, the surrounding material, the stronger, the force of buoyancy. You're right, Clark. I don't think about buoyancy equations, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it evaporates, it's not going to be like boiling and steaming and, and damaging, right? Cause our sweat works via evaporation, but that doesn't burn us. Um, Mm -hmm. so it will just be an area that is extremely humid. Uh, the water is going to be condensing on everything if you're in that storm and it's, it's just going to be really uncomfortable. Um, you're going to be both really hot and really cold. Is there a way that you could snatch the condensation out of the air? Uh, yeah. So (laughs) we're, we're dipping into my chemical engineering stuff. The (laughs) heat (laughs) exchangers, uh, are just in a nutshell. They're just very thin tubes that are flowing one temperature of water through a larger tube of a different temperature of water. Mm. Uh, And you could do that where if they just have nets that are either pushing out cold air or flowing cold water, that will force it to condense Mm. on their nets, at which point it could run down the nets into a storage tank. Yeah. Neat. That is very cool. And that also ties in with our idea of like the slum levels where like that mid-level might have an advantage of collecting the most water just because of where they are in the atmosphere. Mm. 
Yeah, or you're not on the swamp level of atmosphere where right. things where it's right. like basically Florida all the time, which is just <laughs> miserable. Um, and that's not even with the weather included. You know, it's just miserable. Um, one other thing that I do want to go back to, uh, Clark, when we were talking about resources, you had mentioned bones being a very important building material. And I want to point out that if we're talking about bones that are large enough to be used as a building material, that also suggests that there are creatures and things out there in the sand dunes and in the lava tubes that are large enough to <laughs> create this material. So we basically have dragons or something like like dune sand. Sand dunes. kaiju. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. basically what I'm thinking here. So let's let's flesh that out just a little bit or Maybe we want to leave that until next episode. What do y'all think? That was actually like on my list when I was brainstorming tenets. That <laughs> there were like magnificent, enormous creatures living in in the lava. It's, so, I mean, <laughs> ties in well. Yeah. To clarify, part of what I was thinking is one: it, it could be human bones. Like there could be specific groups that they build their ships out of the bones of their people. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But it could also be again, since I spent like eight years in the desert. It's really interesting where a lot of the deserts, a lot of the valleys in the deserts were once lakes and oceans. Mm. So whether they're currently living creatures or not, they might be fossils and shells and stuff from seafaring or airfaring creatures from millennia ago. Yeah, very cool. There's possibility for both. Mm. And a lot of bone powder. That's that's fascinating. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. I feel like what we need to do right now, because I've... I, we. <laughs> There's still so much yet to talk about, uh, but we, mm -hmm. we still need to go back and talk about our tenets. So maybe we can kind of infuse our recap with a little bit of exploration as well here. Uh, so Courtney, you started us off. Remind us what the first tenet was. Uh, the ground is lava. Right. Which I immediately fucked up by adding sand yep. to it. Yep. Uh, it's coarse <laughs> and it gets everywhere. No uh, one likes terrible. sand. In enhanced. You enhanced it, Rob. That's <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. I spiced it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Courtney had a gumbo and my, mine was the seasoning on top of it, basically. Okay. So I feel like we've established that both yeah. Courtney and I's first tenants. It's, it's an indelible part of the, the landscape. It totally makes sense. And it's definitely part of the setting. Correct. Yes, absolutely. All right. Clark, remind us what your first tenet was. This planet has more atmospheric layers than Earth. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that we've done a good job of like making that pretty evident when we're talking about mm -hmm. the different layers, like yeah. culturally and like in, in a society, what that looks like. And, and I think that's a good way to, to approach that. Is there anything else that we might want to add to that? that we haven't really touched on yet. I just kind of want to point out, as we've been talking about this in the prompt, one of the tenants was more verticality, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yes. by mm -hmm. doing this, we've talked about this a little, but we have essentially added verticality and layers to the adventure and exploration. Absolutely. Because yeah, the different zones are going to have their own characteristics and behavior and potentially different phenomenon for you to explore and exploit. Yeah. Yes. That's a great point. Yep. Yeah. All right. Good job. Courtney, second tenant, what was yours? That was the um, Nazca Line-esque like, art forms or something that mm -hmm. can be viewed from the sky from these balloons. Right. I think that turning them into cities was a really great way to like really bring that out and add some flavor to it. Yeah. Um, 
I think that what we should do for next episode is when we create our factions, it should be a Nazca city. You know, like mm, we should yeah. talk about which city that we're adding to the world mm, and what okay. that symbol means and what it means to the people. I think that'd be a really fun way to do factions. I agree. That's very cool. All right. Um, and then Clark, your second tenant. My second trade tenant. Wind, right? Uh, yeah. Tell me all about it. This was another world shaping thing where there are more convection cells leading to stronger and more numerous trade winds. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that we've done a good job of adding that. Uh, it, it ties into the different uh, layers of atmosphere. Uh, I think that by having the verticality aspect, that helps out with the trade wind stuff as well. And then we have the seasonal aspect. I think that we've talked about that pretty well. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. One thing that I do want to point out, by the way, is that when we have something like that, you know, when we had these natural trade winds, certain geographic areas that are actually fairly close might be a lot harder to get to Yes, because of the way the trade winds work. You know, it could be a mm -hmm. matter of, you know, you're trying to go from, uh, you know, like the Phoenix petroglyph to the, you know, to the rock snake petroglyph. And by the, by the crow flies, it's not too far but if you take a hot air balloon, it's going to take weeks to months. Mm. Yeah. Realistically, probably months. But if you take the trade wind route, which takes you through three other different cities, you shave half the time off or something like that, right? Yeah. And also, there's the fact that landmarks and cities can interrupt and divert the trade winds. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, like, you may have the the wind. <laughs> you may have the windy city. Which is just like smack dab in the middle of one of the trade winds. So if you're riding the mm -hmm. trade wind, you have to go through that city or you have to jump off the trade wind for a while, which could add weeks to your travel. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, this is actually something we haven't even talked about. The, the petroglyphs that we're making, are they a way to funnel and shape and shift the trade winds? They very well yes, might be. Yes, that is cool. And that means too that they could also be weaponized in a way. Like if a... If a group figures out how to carve the land in such a way that it really fucks up a trade wind, like they could yeah. hurt other people coming through. Or it's just a defense mechanism, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, the city's on lockdown and all of a sudden, like these things come out and fold together and the wind just completely stops, which means that the war party that's coming in are, are basically sitting ducks to whatever volley the defending city is sending out oh, there. Right. And yeah. the defending city has aircraft with short range engines, which gives them maneuverability in dead air. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. There's so yeah. much. Oh, that's so like cool. That. Okay. That's really cool. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. 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 Um, that was your second tenant. I think we've, we've pretty well established that so far. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Great. Okay. Uh, my second tenet was that we were keeping this to a geographic region rather than an entire planet. I feel like we've done that pretty well. I think that what I'd like to do to emphasize that is something that I've already suggested, which is just sticking to cities within this particular region in mm -hmm. terms of like factions and stuff like that, which I think we can definitely dive into a little bit deeper next time. Plus, I, I think that, you know, when we're thinking vertically and we're thinking about this geographic area, think about 
like the size of Australia. And I, I think I'm cool with that. And then what that also allows is we can, we can talk about the outside world. If, if you were say like a Daniel type, you could be like, well, I'm bringing that into the next session and stuff like that, that the, what we're talking about is from the outside and that's cool. That's totally fine. But I, I'm, I'm fine with the kind of regionality that we've got going on here so far. Yeah. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Great. So we're at the point we've recapped our tenets. We've got a really interesting uh, setting that we've got going on here. What I'm going to do now is potentially fuck it up by rolling the twist. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I want to say is that I always say that we're going to fuck it up. Right. But I want to point out that the twists are always fun and yeah. always interesting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I say yeah. that, I don't really mean it. I feel like some people take that a little bit too literally. And no, that is just not the case here. It's like fuck it up in a fun way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So with all the recap out of the way, I'm getting excited. I want to know what the twist is. And the twist that we're dealing with this time is. Now add in some undead. <laughs> that's going to be awesome that's going to be so cool I cannot wait to talk about this I already have a million different ideas yeah. I'm ready to go that's awesome oh man okay absolutely alright so so this is it thanks again to Axel for submitting this particular prompt I hope you've enjoyed what we've done with it so far uh, and remember that if you want us to build your world you can always go to our website worldbuildwithus.com follow the link and the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter, at Let's World Build. You can follow us there. That's about it. If you want to come talk to us on Discord, where you can have world-building discussions, tell us about how you would do your Nazca City, all that cool stuff. Follow the link in the description of this very episode, or go to our website. There's a link for it there, too. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous, You can always go to our Patreon with the link for that in the description or our website and give us money where you'll get access to patron-only episodes, early episodes, and, you know, an exclusive lounge in our Discord. Now, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together. Until next week. Mm -hmm.